fans <laughs> welcome to the highly vaunted uh corner kick premier league preview episode uh that is the source of much joy for us throughout the season as we often look back at this episode to discuss how hilariously wrong we are but we are just four days away really now three and a half days away from the opening match of the premier league season as wild as that is i am a uh covid bound or covid bedridden nathan strauss uh joined by a man uh who did not go celebrate in trafalgar square as england uh won the euros it is nick govinden sorry i was <laughs> do you gotta do that again i was swallowing a piece of popcorn <laughs> <laughs> wait wait everyone quick what's your what's your podcasting snack like what do you have by you set the stage oh, i have a uh, pink apple and lemon uh polar seltzer what's the point you can't even taste it <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to manifest that taste dude <laughs> I, can, I can feel the bubbles like i feel the carbonation but fair enough I have a, just a big glass of water, and I have some popcorn that I just chew on every now and then when I'm not talking. I have some dried mango slices yeah, you and would. a glass of water. Yeah, that's a very Rhodes snack right there. Get some, yeah. get a lime LaCroix. Now we've moved on. from. Actually, I don't really keep seltzer anymore. My dentist was like, do you drink a lot of sparkling beverages? And I said, maybe. <laughs> she said stop Did, have you guys had this have you guys like gone to like an adult dentist now no yeah yes. yeah, yeah i've been going yes. for like three years like i switched this year and i swear that like i wasn't getting proper dental care for the first 22 years of my life no dude pediatric dentistry is a joke no pediatric dentistry, they, they like tap your teeth yeah i an actual joke this this was i, I hate to say it, a literal bloodbath um the adult dentistry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! What was going? Was it like the dude from Little Shop of Horrors? What was going on? I don't know. It was the. It, it was bad, but never mind. We should get back to the football or to the football, probably. All right, all right. Well, we're joined by Nick Gavinden, uh, who, as we all know, now uh, enjoys his popcorn. We're joined I- by Caleb Rhodes, <laughs> whose team, as of today is now able to register all the signings that they paid $150 million for. Yes. It's, it's, it's exciting news. Um, also, I think before we continue, we, we should, you know, alert our listeners and congratulate our, our co-host, Nathan Strauss, for becoming a sort of professional sports journalist. He's moonlighting um, from his main job as Corner Kick co-host and now has full-time positions um, in the sporting world as well. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Hopefully it, uh, it, it translates into, uh, into this line of work. Although I did actually have to sign, funny enough, I did have to sign an NDA for one of my jobs uh, because we deal with, I guess, some numbers that teams value quite highly. So it'll be interesting when I have to say like, oh, well, you know, we at job X rate player x quite highly or something but uh yes i appreciate it but this episode uh we've done it in the same format now for i think three years and we use the this is you know the premier league preview episode obviously the transfer window remains open for um you know another three and a half weeks but given that the season itself starts in a few days we have to go with what has been done so far, so we use the Guardians uh, transfers in and transfers out page where they sort by club and we go through alphabetically. And as we checked right before we hit record, this year the Guardian has it actually in alphabetical order, unlike in years past where there have been some inexplicable uh, ordering uh, mishaps. But nonetheless, going alphabetically, that means we start 
with Arsenal. And actually, before we get to Arsenal, it's important to remind ourselves that, you know, at the end of this episode, um, you know, it'll be split into two parts. And uh, at the end of part two, we will go through with our official full table predictions. Uh, and of course, for the last time, I can say that I am the uh, defending most correct uh, corner kick predictor uh, of that low bar from the three of us. But shall we start with Arsenal? We shall. I, I'm just going to pop in and say that this is my this is my most favorite episode that we do. I think we really get into it's definitely the most detail oriented podcast you're going to hear us do all season long, which is ironic. This is one of the first podcasts we do every season. But I love going through every team individually. I love seeing the state of play where things are in the Premier League in particular. And I think this is we get to, you know, have a little bit of in podcast competition as well, which I think is always great for our dynamic as three I would say three three fairly competitive competitive people. So I'm I'm eagerly anticipating this. Christmas slash Hanukkah has come early this year as it always does around this time. So I'm excited to get going. But yes, Arsenal. Nathan is gonna be happy to hear me say this. I think Arsenal are looking mighty fine heading into this season. I think they have improved a tremendous deal since we saw them last finish fifth at the end of uh, at the end of the previous season's campaign. I think they have made some really astute additions. I think Mikel Arteta finally got the backing that he really all the backing that he really wanted at once in this transfer window. Gabriel Jesus from Manchester City, a player that he's worked with before. Same goes for Alexander Zinchenko, who can play in both left, left at play at both left back and in midfield. You know he has been described as the most technically gifted player in Manchester City's squad, which is kind of insane considering we didn't really see him in his preferred midfield position all that much. And I think signings like Fabio Vieira, you know, who's twenty one and has a lot of potential, kind of came came out of nowhere in a lot of respects, but I think is someone who I think can bolster that Arsenal front three behind Jesus. And also, you know, Matt Bernleno has left today to go to Fulham, and Matt Turner is more than a suitable backup, making for a very strong goalkeeper part of the locker room. So I think all in all, Arsenal look ready to go, and I I it'll be reflected in my end-of-season table. I think... They need to finish in the top four just because they've spent the most of any team in the transfer window thus far. But I think that money has been well spent and they're going to be well stocked to compete for for third or fourth this season. Yeah, I think Arsenal have had a pretty sublime transfer window. I think Gabriel Jesus will score a bunch of goals. Um, sort of given full reins of the offense, I think Zinchenko is, you know, obviously a massive, massive upgrade over Tavares, who they've sent out on loan to Marseille, um, and also will provide, you know, good cover in, in the midfield as well. Um, <laughs> Fabio Vieira, I think, is the kind of wild card. I'm not really sure how he fits into this team or, or what the minutes are, um, but certainly he had, you know, a very good season with Porto last year. Um, and Arteta must sort of see a clear role in the team. I also have them, you know, finishing in the top four, I won't say where, yet. Um, and I think this is the first time in many years that, you know, Nick and I are not, uh, you know, crapping on Arsenal a little bit and bringing down some of your preseason enthusiasm, um, you know, down a peg, Nathan. So I'm curious what, what your thoughts are, but I imagine that you would agree that this is a good team that now needs to perform a little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think Arsenal have done some really, really good business so far. Uh, you know, sh credit to the Cronkies who have, I think, stopped being uh, as tight-fisted with the finances because, you know, obviously spending £150 million pounds is, uh, is significant. And I think, you know, they did, they've done, a, they've had to clear house a little bit. Um, and I saw a stat today that said of the 126 million pounds that was spent under former director of recruitment, 
Sven Mislinstadt with Lucas Torreira uh, allegedly being sold to Turkey today, I believe to, to Fenerbahce for about 11 million. Uh, the total money that Arsenal recouped from the 11 signings made under Mislinstadt is 26 million. So that's about uh, you know 20% of what Arsenal spent in the years between you know 2016 and midway through 2018. So it's been a long road, but I'm glad that Arsenal have done the business that they've done. A tremendous preseason. I, I think sometimes I put a little bit too much stock in preseason, but you know Arsenal did not lose a game. Uh, they dominated a full-strength Chelsea team in Florida, uh, which is as close to a, a serious test as you can get. Uh, but Arsenal are, are going to be really exciting. The I don't I'm not entirely sure that they're done spending either. I think it's possible that Arsenal bring in another midfielder, and I do think that part of the reason they bring in another midfielder is because of a situation surrounding um, arguably the most crucial player to the way Arsenal play. But I don't think we can tackle that in this episode, and I, I think the ramifications of that situation could be uh, you know further out than just um, you know what Arsenal does in the transfer market. But all in all, I'm ecstatic. Gabriel Jesus is showing that it's possible to have a striker who uh, can get the ball and also score. And uh, Zinchenko had some of the most ridiculous passing numbers last, you know, in his city stint and uh, you know, is another player who's you know, before the prime of his career coming to Arsenal. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sort of excited to see what happens. And obviously Matt Turner making the jump from the Revs uh, to Arsenal is as weird a transfer as you'll get from like the perspective of a, a Bostonian who uh, got to see Matt Turner play in MLS. But yeah, I am uh, quite pleased with how this summer has gone in the transfer market for the Gunners. On to Aston Villa, shall we? Nick, do you want to take Aston Villa? I, I feel like it's only fair that you get the first crack given that uh, you know they have not only a former Liverpool legend at the helm, but also uh, one of the most important ex-Liverpool players uh, you know, joining them this summer. Right, my favorite player of all time at the helm. Not only just one of the most, my, one of the you know, iconic Liverpool legends. And I think if you're Steven Gerrard, you're looking at the business that Aston Villa have done in this offseason, and you're saying that it's good, but it's not great, right? I think if you're Gerard, uh, when he was at Rangers, he was kind of infamous for having a lot of, or infamous and famous. It ended up working out for him, considering they, you know, won the league at a canter undefeated and they made it quite far in European competitions. However, he did have a lot of player turnover at Rangers, and quite necessarily so, I would say. He came in with like a far more diminished squad than Aston Villa had and needed to do a lot of work to get them up to speed. Here, they I think they've done some suitable work in strengthening the spine of the team. I think Diego Carlos is from Sevilla, is someone who a lot of Europe's elite clubs have been tracking for quite some time. Definitely isn't, you know, an all-around complete center back, particularly with the ball at his feet, but he's certainly, you know, an above-average defender for the Premier League, and I think Aston Villa, you know, not having to have the mings Consa duo be you know the bedrock of a top 10 challenge is going to be really good for them signing Coutinho for a cup price 17.2 million pounds is just good business all around considering you know his talent level and the impact that he made last season I think the most intriguing addition is Bubakar Kamara on a free from Marseille this is someone who I think has bundles of potential he can play both center defensive midfield and center back and I think is going to be a key cog in Jared's machine. It seems like Jared himself really led the recruiting push surrounding this player. And I think Jared is someone who learns very fast on the job as a manager. He's, you know, his main man, Michael Beal, who was kind of his uh, tactician on the side, someone who really like a highly rated coach left in the offseason for QPR. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how he gets on with that. He replaced him with... Um, Neil Critchley, former Liverpool coach and also former Blackpool manager, who's also an extremely highly rated coach and manager in his own right. So I think this the the people around him are going to be very good. Steven Gerrard is a very capable manager, and I think in a full season, especially with you know him 
revitalizing players like Leon Bailey and Danny Ings during preseason and, you know, giving more responsibility to a player like John McGinn uh, and giving him the captaincy can only be good things for Villa. And I think they push for a top eight spot this season. Uh, I think that Aston Villa will be in a significantly better place than they were last year, you know, prior to when Gerard was, was brought in. Um, and certainly I think there are several players in the squad who had underwhelming seasons last year, especially the ones that came in to replace Jack Grealish and who will presumably play more to their level this year. Um, that said, I think that this is, in the end, a sort of solidly mid-table team. I don't really see them pushing for Europe, but I also don't see them pushing or or being close to the drop. So I think progress, but but perhaps not the most thrilling uh, team week in and, and week out ahead, which honestly, stability, stability is a fine thing in this league. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be fine. And I was looking through going, you know, position by position, player by player. The Kamara transfer is great business, given that they got, you know, a $30 million player on a free uh, you know, they haven't agreed to terms with Carney Chukwemeka, who's, you know, one of their, you know, after Jacob Ramsey, he's probably their most talented uh, player in their academy. And it sort of just remains to be seen, like, if they can get goals from Buendia and Bailey, which they didn't get last year, I could see them finishing, you know, eighth. And if they don't, I could see them finishing, you know, 11th. I do think, you know, their wild card transfer uh, is Diego Carlos. And, uh, you know, he's a wild card in that he gets sent off like once every three matches. So it's certainly going to be interesting to see, you know, if he plays alongside Tyrone Mings, who's, you know, a little error prone uh, himself. But, yeah, I think Villa could be a, an aesthetically pleasing mid-table team. Uh, you know, Digne is quite good. Matty Cash is a, is a fine, uh, you know, right back who could very well, you know, play for a move somewhere if this year goes well, but yeah, Villa will be, uh, I, I don't have them finishing in the European spots, but I could see them, you know, going on a, some sort of run to get them into the conference league. If, if things go really, really, really well, but on that note, Caleb, do you want to take us to a team that will, uh, not be going to the conference league in AIC Burnmouth? <laughs> uh, Yes. They will probably not be going to the Conference League. They might... Unless you mean the National Conference League. Yes, they <laughs> they might not be going to the Premier League uh, next season either. Bournemouth uh, finished, what, second in the league last year. Um, just two points adrift of Fulham getting automatic qualification to the Premier League. Their goal difference was about half of Fulham's. They had a slightly better defense, but their offense, which was still second best in the league, was leagues off of, of Fulham um, and mostly Alexander Mitrovic's, uh, you know, obscene scoring rate. They have done a little bit of business um, this summer. They've brought in kind of, uh, you know, backup fullback Ryan Fredericks from West Ham, um, Joe Rothwell, who I know very little about, um, although he's a former Man U Academy player. And then Marcus Tavernier, um, I think is, you know, a, a fine signing from another championship side, but I'm not sure fine signings from championship sides, you know, get you to survive the drop in the Premier League. Um, we'll see. I think the last few years we've seen newly promoted sides surprise us in various ways. Um, but from the outset, I do not think I'm going to be very surprised with how this season turns out for Bournemouth. So a couple of wild cards about Bournemouth is that one, their manager, Scott Parker, you know, who Matt last managed in the Premier League with Fulham, is very good at organizing a defense. And in looks fabulous. Yeah, he's so well, hot. No, he's a very handsome man. He <laughs> really looks like he, no, he, he looks like he could be the next James Bond. Like, I'm not even joking. No, he does. He kind of looks like a Bruce Wayne, like a smoldering Bruce Wayne type but he also knows how to coach a defense quite well in that in his last season in the Premier League with Fulham this kind of went under the radar they had the second best defense in the entire Premier League 
from the span of January through, I believe it was March, second only to Man City. So if he can, you know, have a similar style of organization with Bournemouth, I think that's going to that's gonna serve them ex- extremely well. The other thing to consider is that Dominic Solanke, and it kind of went under the radar a little bit because Alexander Mitrovic absolutely just ripped up the championship last season, but Dominic Solanke had a quiet 29 goals, excuse me, had a quiet 29 goals and seven assists last season. So if he can convert even just some of that into Premier League statistical contributions of any kind, you know, that's going to be worth quite a bit to Bournemouth. But yeah, I don't see this being quite enough of a suitable team for Premier League survival. And I am with you guys that I think they're going to be facing the drop pretty quick. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. First of all, I really like Burnmouth, uh, just because, uh, you know, they are a team that has not historically had success in the top flight. They've got a great stadium, uh, great fans. I went right past their stadium actually a couple of times uh, when I was, you know, jaunting around uh, England's south coast this year. And as much as I like Scott Parker. I think that generally the teams that stay up after getting promoted from the championship either have some sort of gimmick. And I've talked about this before, but, you know, gimmicky teams were teams like Sheffield uh, United, who played that crazy 3-5-2 that sort of sent center backs forward in possession. Uh, Or, yeah, Leeds, Leeds, another example of that. Or they have some sort of obscene financial backing like... Uh, Wolves did when they came up a couple of years ago, and they've obviously become, you know, mainstays at this point. I this year, and it's reflected in my in my rankings. I don't think that any of the three uh, promoted teams have either of those qualities that I think generally lead to teams staying up. Uh, you know, Brentford, another team that has their quote unquote gimmick, which is their whole like Danish moneyball style, uh, would be the closest analogy that I could think of. To any of these three teams but um yeah i think i think bournemouth go down and i don't think it's particularly close if solanke couldn't do it two years ago on uh, two much better teams i think he like alexander mitrovich will struggle reacclimating to the prem but of the three promoted teams i certainly would enjoy seeing them succeed and and, and you know establish themselves uh back in the prem the most of the three that uh, got promoted. Brentford. Nick, you want to take it? Sure, I could take Brentford. I'd love to take Brentford. Uh, I think they made some interesting moves. I think Thomas Dracosha is a very good goalkeeper from Lazio. And now, interestingly, like I was, I was reading about this the other day, since Brentford signed Thomas Trakasha on a free transfer. Currently, Lazio have no goalkeepers at the club. I know this is detouring into Serie A territory, <laughs> but they they Pepe Reina like left them on a free. Um, I imagine he'll retire soon, uh, and Trakasha left, and they don't have a third keeper. And so currently, like if you're a goalkeeper, like a free agent goalkeeper, or like just like you know a rec league goalkeeper. I would like go out of your way to submit your resume to Lazio because I think they could really use someone right about now. But I think that's a very good signing on a free. They, uh, yeah, Lazio, by the way, just signed Luis Maximiano from uh, from Granada. Oh, okay, like never mind. Mil to fill that void. I was going to say they probably have another Mussolini somewhere. Um, <laughs> play yeah, they typically are better on the right, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, don't still, you know, if you're a, if you're a promising goalkeeper, there's still two available slots at Lazio, it seems. Anyways, Ben Mee from uh, from Burnley, the former the former Burnley captain, who I think is a very solid Premier League defender, arrives on a free as well after confirming that he was going to be leaving the club Burnley. That is last season, um, and Aaron Hickey I think is the most interesting transfer that they have made. He is someone who is coming in from Bologna. He's Scottish, extremely highly rated. He is someone who. I think Serie A writers are fascinated by and find him to be an extremely promising talent. And I'm interested to see how that translates to the Premier League because he's kind of flown under the radar somewhat for the past two seasons in Serie A. 
And I think in a team like Brentford, who have so many specific stylistic ways that they like to do things, I I think it's going to be a nice marriage between him and Thomas Frank. I think the big loss is obviously Christian Eriksen. We've talked about what a massive statistical contribution he made to them last season. Not only statistical, but also, you know, a sort of emotive contribution as well, being, you know, an X factor that they were able to add um, in the mid to late season to get them across the line when they were somewhat becoming a little stale. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how they make up for the loss of Erickson, but I do think Bournemouth will end up being safe this season. Yeah, and uh, and Aaron Hickey, you know, they beat out reportedly Liverpool, Chelsea, and Arsenal for Hickey's signing. Uh, and, you know, it's rare to see players from the United Kingdom uh, leave their respective domestic leagues that early in their career. And that's why, you know, it was pretty surprising when Hickey made that move a couple of years ago to Bologna. But, you know, when you're getting interest from clubs like Liverpool and Arsenal, even in a backup role, there's cr- clearly something about you. And uh, Brentford are also closing in on another signing. I believe Domsgaard was the player who Romano tweeted about them signing yes. today. So, uh, you know, they clearly have their their Danish center midfielders that they like. And uh, yeah, I, I think they'll be fine. And I think that uh, Thomas Frank is, is a really, really good manager. I think they'll be fine. I do think, though, they'll, you know, drop down the table a touch. I mean, things were somewhat dicey until Ericsson came in. Um, and they have not really, you know, replaced him specifically um, with, they haven't purchased any midfielders this summer. Um, and so I think, as you guys both mentioned, that is kind of the gaping hole that that they will need to, and Thomas Frank will need to kind of strategically um, fill. That said, I think, they don't seem like a Sheffield to me that, you know, flew far, far too high um, and and are set to sort of flame out. I think that, you know, they can keep going for at least another season. Um, but I don't think that this is a team that's necessarily safe, even though I think they ultimately will, will be. Brighton? Brighton. So this is my version of so last year you know nick famously picked southampton to go down which was just shocking and also just hilariously wrong uh this is probably as close as i will come to making a prediction like that although i have brighton you know on the other end of the table i have brighton finishing in the european places this year which is a testament to a couple of things first of all they tend to buy really, really well. And they've done that again this year, bringing in Simon Adingra from you know Norge Island, who have produced a ton of top quality players because they have uh, you know, their Right to Dream Academy. And also bringing in Julio Enciso, uh, you know, a talented young player uh, joining from Paraguay. They've also you know, raised some funds selling Yves Busuma, who we'll talk about later, to Spurs and Leo Ostegaard, who never really made it at Brighton, uh, to Napoli, and they've loaned out a ton of players, including, uh, weirdly enough, Aaron Connolly to Venezia. It's not too often that you see an Irishman playing in uh, Serie B, but he will certainly look good in those, uh, you know, in those classy Venezia kits. Brighton have been, you know, last year the story was can they finish because. They obviously were the team that had underperformed the most, their expected goals, the previous season. And I think they've done a really good job of keeping their the spine of their team intact. I think Graham Potter is a really, really good coach. Uh, you know, he's done bits with them in the Premier League since, since they've come up. They're also about to get £50 million for Mark Kukurea, which I'm sure they are going to reinvest uh, in the squad because that's really been their formula right they've sold a player for 40 to 50 million like they did with Ben White last year uh, and then they've brought in you know three or four players for 10 million who end up performing quite well we didn't quite see all that much from Enoch and Wepu last year but I think he'll grow into his role Alexis McAllister looked pretty good uh, in a full season worth of games last year 
And somehow they still get goals from Neil Mope, uh, players like Leander Trossard, who might not be the most inspiring, but they do seem to come through uh, when it matters the most. I don't think we need to expect too much from Danny Welbeck this year. But yeah, my, uh, my, my shocking prediction of the year is that Brighton will continue their steady upward ascent and this year finish in seventh. Yikes. Now that might be the thing that breaks your your standings. <laughs> I think I think right. Two seasons ago, the story was, oh, this team is dramatically underperforming. Last season, I think they performed, you know, pretty much at their highest possible level. But I think losing Basuma, who has been one of the best all around um, center midfielders, and boy, does he let you know it, um, to Spurs is a massive loss. And I think losing Kukureya will also be a huge loss. And I'm not surprised he's gotten, you know, as much interest as he has. Personally, I've been a little upset that given all the money we've been spending, uh, Barcelona, that is, that we haven't thought about sort of repurchasing him. But, you know, I think they do have a good track record of buying well um, and turning those, you know, players into good players. But I'm not sure that's necessarily always going to be the case and you know relatively late in the window with only a few days until the league starts I think losing another large piece like Kukureya would be a pretty significant miss so I don't think I think this team is mid-table I think they're a little worse than last year um, but I think the interest they've generated in their players is certainly you know represents the fact that they really have been playing quite well um, last season Nick. Right. I think the interesting thing is going to be, Nathan, you talked about the Brighton model of being able to to tank losing one star player a season for a large sum of money. With both Basuma and Cucurella going, it's going to be fascinating to see if they can tank losing two of their key men in, in a single transfer window and how they go about doing that. As of right now, I am more inclined to agree with Caleb until I see what they do with the Cucurella money and how they can reinvest that. You know, there's still plenty of time in the window for them to make transfers as they see fit. I and have to a lot be of... clear, he hasn't been sold yet. But no, we exactly. expect him to be either to City or to Chelsea. It I sounds think. like to Chelsea. It sounds yeah. like to Chelsea, which is hilarious. But we'll uh, get to that we'll next. Get yeah. on to that, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think as of right now, I'm more inclined to agree with Caleb. I think this is a mid-table side. Although I have a lot of confidence in Graham Potter as a manager, I think he is bound for bigger and better things once his time at Brighton. Is, <clears throat> the England job. <clears throat> the, I think certainly the England job is on the table for him. But I think he's going to guide Brighton to a very respectable mid-table finish this season for the resources that they have currently in the squad. All right. Well, I've sort of put all my eggs in one basket there. But uh, let's move on to a team that is just I don't, I don't even know how to describe what they've been doing because it's just baffling all around. Uh, but Chelsea, uh, Caleb, they've, uh, you know, they're obviously in negotiations <laughs> as of today for Mark Kukurea, but they've also, uh, you know, splashed the cash on some uh, pretty well-known players this summer. Yeah, I mean, so this is the first summer under sort of the bully ownership. Um they, you know, were able to bring in Raheem Sterling from Manchester City, which I think is is a statement signing of sorts. Um, certainly Sterling has been one of the top, I don't know, probably one of the top 10 players in the Premier League over the past five seasons consistently. Koulibaly, probably a few years later than people expected now that he's, what, 31, um, finally making the move. Um, from Napoli to, you know, another top European club. However, the, you know, exit list for Chelsea is, is quite dramatic. They've lost Andreas Christensen to, to Barcelona. Obviously, Lukaku went to Inter. Rudiger went to Real Madrid. Um, Saul, <laughs> his loon, <laughs> has ended. And I love this little note oh on The God, Guardian about where it says... He returns to Spain after a disappointing season in England. He thanked his teammates for helping him, quote, not fall apart. So that says a lot. 
Danny Drinkwater has finally been released. <laughs> oh my god, Danny Drinkwater. I and just then, remember the most recent Danny Drinkwater thing that I remember is when he got sent off for fighting a 16-year-old playing yes. in the Premier yeah. League 2 last I don't, year. I don't mean to laugh yes. because like it's really sad when when these players' careers like we forget that sometimes that these people are human beings. And so when you know they have a downturn in their career, like we don't really know yeah. quite what's going on with them. But these are you know names that I totally sure. you know forgot about. But I think it's just important yeah. to say that but as we go through I, this list. In terms of, I think this in general has not been the best summer for for Chelsea. I don't think they've adequately restocked their defense. Um, they currently don't really have a striker. I mean, Timo Werner has not proven that he can be you know take on the scoring burden for this club. Kai it sounds Havertz, like he's heading back to Leipzig. And it sounds like he's probably leaving. And so is Kai Havertz really, you know, going to be Chelsea's striker for this season? I still think it's unclear what formation the team's going to work with, um, you know, who the main attacking line is going to be. I think this is a big season for, you know, Christian Pulisic um, in his, what, third season, fourth season now? Um with the club, but basically at every turn, Chelsea have lost out in the transfer market to Barcelona. They tried to buy Kunde. They wanted Rafinha. They tried to sign Dembele. They got none of those players. And now they're left with, you know, a few good additions, but I'm not sure they, you know, outweigh the the mass exodus. Um, and I think this is not what the new ownership group would have liked to see, especially with, you know, their main competitors in the top six barring you know man U, all improving quite a bit so i think this will be probably another season of uncertainty and regression for the side that sort of won the champions league only two years ago yeah i think chelsea are in trouble and not not in the sense that they're going to be finishing in like 10th this season or anything but yeah i don't know if it's going to be a extremely promising first season under the bully ownership it seems like they're going for name brand players that other big teams have been tracking before them and i don't quite understand it doesn't seem like there's really quite a a, a cohesive marriage right now between what tuchel wants to do on the pitch and what todd bully is willing to bring in in the transfer market or like what he's willing to navigate to in the transfer market I think Sterling and Koulibaly are two good signings independently. I think Koulibaly is an extremely adequate replacement for Antonio Rudiger. I think he gives Chelsea a lot in terms of having a, another elite center back in that back three. And Sterling, I think we're going to get onto this with Man City. I think Sterling is a big loss for what Manchester City are able to do in terms of weaving play together. And I think we saw that a bit in the Community Shield against Liverpool. But... I don't think a front three of Mount Havertz and Sterling is quite enough to compete for, you know, a top four spot, let alone the Premier League title. And certainly with, you know, Timo Werner angling for a move to first that we thought it was Juventus. Now it seems like RB Leipzig. Like I said, with Brighton, there's still plenty of time for a club like Chelsea to maneuver in the window. And it seems like they have the funds available to bring in, you know, massive amounts of players before the deadline but right now it is looking a bit thin at Chelsea you know they obviously still have the likes of Reese James and Golo Conte is a key player under Tuchel although he's you know he's slowly starting to show signs of of age and regression you know Jorginho is a quality player they still have Kovacic Pulisic as Caleb said I think is you know needs to 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 progress in his third full season at the club but certainly a lot of question marks surrounding Chelsea right now. And I think that's going to reflect in the league table. Yeah, I mean, this window has sucked for them so far. And I think Sterling is a good transfer. I'm less sold on Koulibaly because this now means that there's two of their three starting center backs will likely be, you know, above the age of 30. And obviously, Thiago Silva has done what he's done for a really long time. I don't think there's any worries about him being you know, a saleable asset at the end of his deal because he'll just retire. But Koulibaly is going to cost about $50 million when it comes time to his wages paid over the course of this deal. And for a center back who is past the age of 30, I don't think it represents particularly good business. You know, Koulibaly, I think, peaked 
as like a 27 or 28 year old. And I think he will still be good. And Chelsea desperately needed a center back, but I do think they need another top quality center back to complete their back three. Uh, you know, having missed out on Nathan Ake, who I think is going to end up as the third choice center back at Man City this year instead. I also don't really get why Chelsea aren't utilizing one of their biggest strengths, and that is, you know, the prospects that they produce from their academy. They the Levi Caldwell thing is insane. If yeah, that's so, what we're about to talk about. Yeah, so they loaned out Ian Matson, which is fine, right? He uh, is a really promising Dutch left back who scored actually two days ago for Burnley in the opening match of their season. Um, but he would have been more than capable of being the backup left back this season. And now Todd Bowley is doing an incredibly American type thing and including their most promising center back uh, and Levi Colwell in the deal for Mark Kukurea. Keep in mind, Kukurea would then become the second 40 million plus left back they've signed in the last two years. Obviously, there's still, uh, I think, a couple of months left on Ben Chilwell's recovery from his ACL injury. But you've got ready-made replacements waiting in the wings to use a player whose value has not even come close to peaking uh, in Levy Colwell. I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's bad business. And it demonstrates, I think, a lack of understanding about the sport from Todd Bowley. And I, we mentioned last time that his learning curve is going to be steep, right? I think this could be really bad when all is said and done. Uh, depending on you know how Colwell does, and if this deal goes through. So we shall see with with Chelsea. But to continue on, Crystal Palace, um, I think have made a few you know nice nice purchases uh, this summer, strengthening their midfield with Jake Ducure from Lens, and then American Chris Richards. Um, who last suited up for Bayern Munich, 22 years old, joins the club as well. Um, this will be Patrick Vieira's second season. He's not losing, you know, really any important players to the side. I think this is a Crystal Palace team that, you know, is fairly energetic right now. Um, I'm not totally sure where they'll finish, but I look forward to sort of seeing where he takes this team next this season. Not a ton yeah, to add I, here. I but. mean, the only player who they're losing is Connor Gallagher, uh, who obviously rejoins that's, Chelsea that's after his loan. That's true. And he was really... <laughs> but after his penalty <laughs> against Charlotte FC, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's yeah, much of a loss. But. So I, I was really impressed with, with Patrick Vieira last year. I think Palace will, again, be sort of comfortably mid-table. Uh, you know, they are they have never and will never have the ability to spend above their means. But... Ducore will be a fine, you know, midfielder for them. Chris Richards, I'm not entirely sure about because, you know, he, I think, is fighting for a place in in the World Cup squad for the United States, uh, and he becomes the highest profile American defender uh, in the Premier League. I think surpassing Tim Ream. So I don't know. All in all, pretty solid window. Uh, they will be. I think they will be just fine, and uh, it'll really depend on. Uh, how much they can get from players like Eze and Elise, uh, you know, this year, that'll determine, and maybe even someone like Zaha, that'll determine, you know, how high in the table they go. So they've done another really good thing in this transfer window that we need to highlight. And the last time we talked about Crystal Palace in the transfer window, we talked about a player like Michael Olise, who they brought in from Reading, who is extremely, an extremely exciting prospect of the championship. And he turned out to be extremely exciting in the Premier League as well. Ebericci Eze is going to get another chance at playing a full season with Crystal Palace under Vieira's management. Another extremely exciting player. And they signed another another crazily talented teenager from Derby County and Malcolm Abioe, who kind of lit it up um, in the back half of last season for, for Derby, for Wayne Rooney's Derby County. And I think they're starting to stockpile these really valuable and exciting and electric prospects from the championship and it's going to be about you know in what way can Vieira deploy them effectively and also develop them as talents but I think from you know just just over two years ago 
the really boring Roy Hodgson team that we were talking about to now having some of the most exciting potential wingers in the Premier League, I think is a really great thing if you're Crystal Palace. And Conor Gallagher is going to be a huge miss. But I think Ducure takes this team in a bit of a different direction in terms of what he's able to do, um, a bit more solidity all around. So I think they're in for another another very successful season in terms of you know, mid-table stability. And like Caleb said, stability is not a bad thing at all. Well, I've, uh, yeah, Palace, Palace tend to keep it, Palace tend to keep it short and sweet a lot of the time with their moves. Uh, but, you know, I think it'll be another decent season there. I was now laughing about what's coming next. Yeah, I, I figured you were, Caleb, because this is a team that uh, I think, we all think, is going to be in big, oh, big <laughs> trouble. Um, <laughs> now, oh, now I'll, start, I'll start this Can off I just say something? Oh, Can yeah, I just say yeah, something? Of course. This, when I remember when I said that Christmas came early, this is what I was, in re- this is what I was referring to. This discussion is going to be my version of, you know, a holiday season. Because, ladies and gentlemen, Nathan, we were talking about Everton Football Club. That is true. Uh, Everton obviously narrowly survived the drop last year. And uh, if they survive the drop this year, it will only be because of the lack of quality in the uh, teams that just came up. Because they continue, despite their last five years worth of business, they continue to just be absolutely terrible in the transfer market. Uh, Bringing in Dwight McNeil, who had zero goals and one assist for Burnley last year. They brought him in for 20 million pounds. They signed James Tarkovsky in on a free, um, which is actually kind of a fine transfer. And they also brought in Ruben Vinagre from Sporting, who was you know pretty bad for Wolves. Uh, they lost Richarlison, which uh, we'll talk about later on, selling him for 50 million to Spurs. They also lost a bunch of other squad players uh, like Fabian Delph, who somehow still was under contract with them. John Joe Kenny moves to Hertha Berlin. Cenk Tosin, one of the all-time worst uh, purchases in Premier League history, goes back to Besiktas, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Nick, uh, I know you're 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 eagerly awaiting the prospect of talking about this team. So I figure uh, you know you can have first crack at talking about the Toffees and uh, whether they'll be finishing in twentieth or nineteenth. Yeah, them boys are going down. These boys are going down. And it is there's just a lot more quality all around this season. We're gonna get onto it, I think, with teams like with Nottingham Forest coming up, with Fulham coming up, who I think have added some really some really key pieces to their squad. Everton have not done that. They don't have the financial means to do that. They're still very much in jeopardy of of breaking the financial fair play regulations with all of their reckless spending in the past five years or so. Frank Lampard is not proven that he can manage a Premier League team effectively. And the cracks are already beginning to show in a 4-0 preseason loss to Minnesota United of all teams. With the first team 11, basically. With the first team 11. And Lampard essentially came out and was scathing against his players. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of harmony there right now. Lampard is someone who I think when the tough gets going, tends to distance himself from the situation and puts a lot of, I don't want to say blame, that might be too harsh, but puts a lot of pressure on his players and not quite, doesn't seem to put a lot of pressure on you know, himself and what he could be doing in order to better the situation. But I am not, I'm really not convinced that Everton are going to survive this season. I think replacing, I think Richarlison did a lot to, you know, manage their situation and keep them up last season when Dominic Calvert-Lewin was either injured or not performing. And they're going to need Dominic Calvert-Lewin to stay fit for the entirety of this season if they are going to get the amount of goals and points that they need to stay up. And I am just not, you know, they lost Donny Van de Beek back to Manchester United. Deli Ali is out here missing open goals in preseason games. He doesn't look like, it doesn't look like Lampard has revitalized him at all yeah i mean i think i think everton are in big are in big doo-doo here and 
it's going to take, you know, someone like Sean Dyche potentially in like late Feb- late to mid February coming in and scooping them out of the mud in order for them to stave off relegation this season. Yeah, this I'm just looking at their full squad now. It's it's pretty bleak. Um, as you mentioned, they really need Calvert Lewin to stay fit because the only other, you know, forward they have on their squad is Solomon Rondon, um, who mostly who just is the gets, worst player yeah, in the league last year. Who season. mostly just gets sent off when he gets transferred on. Their midfield is a kind of random assortment of players who are not living up to, I think, their name recognition at all. Um, you know, Alan, who's a multi-time, you know, top three finisher, top two finisher in Serie A. Um, Andre Gomes, who <laughs> is really just quite bad. Uh, Deli Ali, um, who you mentioned, really has regressed so dramatically. It's It's a little bit shocking. And then in their defense, you know, they have a few good center backs at this point. I think between Tarkowski, Keane, um, and Mina, you can, you know, get two starting center backs right there, but their wide back situation is really not very good at all. I mean, Seamus Coleman is simply old. He's getting up there. Um, Mason Holgate, who's not very good at center back or right back is really their backup. Mikalenko, who is their left back, um, was found out quite frequently last year. I think the only hope for this team is you basically need some of these midfield players to A, start scoring goals, and to B, play like, you know, the Andre Gomes that Barcelona bought from Valencia, or Deli Ali to play like, you know, 19-year-old Deli Ali, who's, you know, juggling balls over the top of defenders and then volleying them into the back of the net. However, I think that's extremely unlikely, and I think Everton are in for a very, very long season of hurt. Um <laughs> like they only barely escaped last year. No, and this is the and thing. Um, and this is the thing, Caleb. Deserved, this is the thing. Right? Like, this is the thing. Is that nothing, nothing changes with them. Nothing changes. Because they're in a position right now where they could try and go out there and make and do do what Crystal Palace are doing. You know, they have a bigger name draw than a team like Crystal Palace. They could go out there and try and find players like Ebiwe or Michael Elise or players of that ilk to sign on you know, cut price deals who have a lot of talents to offer them right away, but they don't do that. Instead, what they do is they do reactionary things like go back to PSG and offer them money for 32-year-old Adrisagana Gay. And that decisions like that, decisions like, like stopgap decisions in recruitment and stopgap decisions in you know who you hire to be your manager are always going to come come back to bite you in a league as competitive as the Premier League. Sorry to interrupt you, Nathan. No, I mean, and as we've talked about in the past, this is entirely self-inflicted by Everton, who, uh, you know, spent with reckless abandon for a number of years uh, and never learned from their mistakes. Shall we move on to Craven Cottage? We shall. I just want to say, Craven Cottage, I, I got to stop by there this summer. It is a lovely little stadium. I really enjoyed getting to you know, walk around that part of Fulham Broadway in, in West London. It was very lovely. I, I, was, I was kind of impressed at the vibe of, of Craven Cottage, and I'm kind of impressed with some of the deals that they've done in this offseason as well. I think Tony Khan of All Elite Wrestling fame um, has made some pretty astute signings in this transfer market, and it's going to be interesting to see if you know that combined with you know Marco Silva, who used to coach Watford and Everton, has a lot of Premier League experience, albeit you know it's not been rosy for him so far as a Premier League manager, can do enough this time to you know chuck that yo-yo club tag aside and keep them in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean they. Last time they came up, they didn't spend particularly well. Uh, you know, they spent $25 million on Jean-Michel Serri, who left on a free to Hull City uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, they obviously will have to deal with the loss of Fabio Carvalho, who was really good for them, uh, to Liverpool. You know, Liverpool, I think, have an absolute steal in that transfer. 
and uh, Fulham also lose Andre Zembo and Gisa, who was on loan last year at Napoli, um, and he is sold for ten million this year. But Kevin Mbabu has long been a sort of cult hero because of how pacey he is on FIFA, and I'm a little bit surprised that a player who's been as good as Mbabu in the Bundesliga is settling for a move to Fulham. But Menor Solomon is an opportunistic deal, given that you know he can't play for Shakhtar, given the situation in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, João Paulinha and Andreas Pereira are going to be interesting players in center midfield. Pereira never really got his chance at United and, you know, was was pretty good at Lazio uh, and very good in Flamengo last year in the Brasileiro. And Paulinha is, you know, the fourth midfielder for Portugal right now, and he's a, a destroyer in, in center mid. So I don't think Fulham stay up. I just don't think they have the goals. And I think the lack of a striker signing so far really shows their trust in Alexander Mitrovic. But, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, uh, shame on me. I don't think that Mitrovic will be able to replicate his just absurd goal tally last year. And I think that uh, it could be it could be another uh, relegation for Fulham this year. Yeah, this Fulham team is interesting. Yeah, they scored a ridiculous amount of goals, over 100 goals in the championship last year. About half of those were for Mitrovic, who scored 43 goals in 44 games. But the question is, right, can he do it in the Premier League? Past data suggests no. 2020-21 season, he had three goals. The season before that, he had had 26 in the championship. The season before that, 2018-19, in the Premier League again, he had 11. So it suggests that he is perhaps trending up but I think his style of play just doesn't really work in the Premier League and having lost some of that you know creative midfield talent in Carvalho I think it will be a bit of a rude awakening and they really have just decided to go with him um, and to see if that works I'm not sure Tim Ream and Adarabayo is a you know top Premier League or even Premier League quality center back pairing. So I think this team could be fun, but they will struggle to stay up. Um, but it's always nice to have Fulham in the Premier League. And I'm glad you were able to visit Craven Cottage, Nick. But yeah, I think like 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 you guys are saying, they're going to struggle for goal production. I think having a player like Harry Wilson... Uh, next to Mitrovic is going to do quite a bit just in terms of giving him someone who can provide that kind of consistent service in for him, you know, be kind of a creative outlet on the wide flanks. I think that that's an interesting tandem for the Premier League. But I also think giving a player like Mitrovic just the confidence in saying that, yeah, you're going to be our made man on the biggest stage. I think that's going to be huge for him. You know, he's clearly a player who thrives on being the main man, on being on being a confident striker, on being, you know, this sort of Zlatan-esque, you know, Eastern European man, big man striker. So I am I'm eagerly anticipating, you know, what he can do following his 43, insane 43 goal haul in the championship. But yeah, I think he's going to need to buck the trend of underperforming in the Premier League. And that's going to be a big if. Yeah. And, and again, with Fulham, teams that are ball dominant in the championship tend to really struggle in the Premier League, because every single team that isn't promoted will be better than them uh, as a baseline. So they right, could, but I think yeah. the I think the Paulinho signing is sort of an antidote to that in a sense. So they're clearly, you know, anticipating a bit of a change in play and and how they do things. But yeah, it's going to be you know obviously that's a huge shift. But I, I think they're a bit more prepared this time around than they were last time, shall we say? Well, America has come to the Midlands guys and uh the next team and the final team of part one that we will discuss is the american-led and you know now i guess four 11s american on the pitch leads united who have been engaging in football manager-esque activity this summer bringing in brendan aronson luis sinistera tyler adams mark roca rasmus christensen darko giabi and sonny perkins it is a youthful bunch of players who have come in 
and improbably their books are evenly balanced after selling Rafinha to Barcelona for 49 million pounds and Calvin Phillips to City for 42 million pounds. I think that pound for pound, they have had one of the best summers of any team uh, in the Premier League. On paper, yeah, I would say that's true. However, in practicality, I think a lot of it is still going to be down to, you know, injuries, key players. No Stuart Dallas for a majority of this season. He's a huge miss. Calvert-Lewin, not Calvert-Lewin, excuse me, Calvin Phillips. I'm so sorry. Calvin Phillips, you know, is the heartbeat or was the heartbeat of this team for so many years. And now he's gone. Rafinha, who I think was keeping them up single-handedly at times last season, is gone. Sinistera is going to be starting the season with an injury. Uh, Tyler Adams, I think, is is a good player. It's going to be interesting to see what he can do out of the the RB Leipzig setup, out of that you know intense you know pre choreographed way of playing. Mark Rocca is a very interesting signing from Bayern Munich. I think getting both midfielders in, both you know defensive midfielders in to make up for the loss of Phillips, and also so they don't have to put like utility men, rando utility men in their midfield is really useful. Brennan Aronson is someone who they've been tracking for a long time. They finally got their man. I think if they can unleash him a little bit in that center attacking midfield position, it's going to be incredibly fascinating to see what he can do. I'm really rooting for Jesse March. I think he's a really great coach and a fantastic personality to have in the Premier League. But I do have my questions in terms of I still think this team is going to concede a fair number of goals, and I still don't know exactly where the goals are are coming from in this team, especially with Patrick Bamford not being super consistent in terms of injuries and in terms of play last season. So I think Leeds could be in another tricky spot again this season, and I wouldn't be shocked if they finished in 17th or even in 18th, to be totally honest with you. I think Leeds have a very high ceiling and a very low floor. and. Which is just to say that, you know, my confidence interval in, in how good this team is, is very wide. Um, as Nick said, on paper, these are great signings. Um, Brendan Aronson was really good for Salzburg, really good in European competition for them as well. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he sort of transitions to the Premier League, but I, I rate him quite highly. Mark Roca for me, is the most uh, football manager type signing like I feel like I've definitely been in positions in football manager where I've been like hmm let me see what like midfielder a top European club isn't really playing enough and see if I can put in you know a low (laughs) bid and get them to bite and to be fair I'm not really sure what Mark Rocco was doing at Bayern Munich to begin with but he does have you know a little bit of pedigree having been you know an important part of the Spain U21 team that that won the Euros a few years ago. So uh, we'll we'll see. Um, They spent a lot of money. They brought in a lot of players. Um, It doesn't feel as slapdash as, say, like, you know, a Watford coming up type situation. Um, And I have, I think I have a fair bit of confidence in in Jesse Marsh. Um, But again, I don't think they go down. I think they could even, you know, squeeze into a conference league place um the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle and it will really take a few games for me to figure out just what this Leeds team is actually capable of yeah and and i i still think that they need to sign a center back because you know last year squad depth was their their biggest problem pre bielsa sacking um and you know looking at their fit first few center backs right now it's diego uh, Lorente and Pascal Stroik, who was pretty good last year, actually, you know, as when he was pressed into duty. But, you know, Dallas, Ailing, and Cooper are all injured. Junior Firpo is injured and will miss the first match week. Um, that, that's the one area that they haven't really reinforced. But I think their depth is much better than it's been in years past. Patrick Bamford is healthy. He was obviously limited to, you know, under 10 games in the Prem last year. And I think a front three of potentially, you know, Jack Harrison, Luis Sinistera, and Patrick Bamford is pretty good for a mid-table team. So I think they will be fun to watch. They will probably be just as chaotic as they were the last couple of months in 
uh, you know, the 2021-22 season, but I'm looking forward to seeing it play out on the pitch. But I think we need to point this out before part one ends. Um, just to let you in behind the curtain a little bit here, we use the Guardians, um, you know, club tracker, transfer tracker to, you know, keep ourselves on, on the pace for this show. And it gives like these little blurbs for every single player that like, you know, every team is signed. And for Tyler Adams's blurb <laughs> on the Guardian <laughs> website, it says signed as a replacement for Calvin Phillips and says he has watched the Take His Home documentary. So he knows, quote, a little end quote about the club. So if you're a Leeds fan, you know, be heartened in the fact that Tyler Adams is is doing his research, I suppose, on on the culture of Leeds United. <sighs> well, with that said, we are halfway through. We will take a, a quick break and be back with part two. Leicester City all the way through Wolverhampton Wanderers. You're listening to Corner Kick. Corner Kick.